So as we uh, think about our message today of finding and restoring hope, you know, last week we really talked about the need for us to internalize hope. And we talked about things that we needed to remember when we were facing difficult times ourselves. Today I want to talk to us specifically about how we take that hope and offer it to the world. Uh, because without this, um, you know, the, any aspirations of hope and peace are very temporal, they're very uh, circumstantial, and, and quite honestly, if you look at the headlines in our culture, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see a group of people crying out for hope. You don't, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see pain, that you don't see suffering. It, we're inundated with it, and we're looking for answers, and we're crying out for answers, and we see everything from grief to rage in the, in the response to the sense of needing relief and wholeness and justice. And this is very much a value of mine. It's very much a desire for us as 5280 Church to get involved in people's lives and to help them get a clearer picture of God's love because the church, the Christian church, should be the example, the epitome of hope, justice, and peace, love, sacrifice, goodness. It should be the place where all of that is born and breathed out to bring life into the community. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about people, and that's part of the problem. We've made this an organization. We're here if you need us. And, and really what God desires for us is to be people of hope that take that hope in, in very personal and meaningful uh, ways that, that are very specific to you and your influence and your makeup and to express that hope for people to see. And so one of the things that we work really hard as as a church is to encourage you and, and challenge you to ask the question, how does God want to use you to restore hope? How does God want to use you to restore hope? And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind today as we look at this message. The idea of us getting involved in serving with more than words has been something that Christianity has struggled with for its entire existence, right? One of the uh, most famous quotes that we hear from St. Francis of Assisi is that, uh, at all times, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. And in our culture, we like to use that as kind of the reason why we don't talk about the gospel. We don't talk about the message of Jesus. We don't talk about the teachings of Jesus. We just come in there and we love and we do good things and people will see that goodness and automatically fall in love with Jesus. The problem with that is that that doesn't really happen, right? Because there's not a person in this community that doesn't care about the greater good of this community. It's a shared value. And I think it's a shared value is because it's part of God's makeup in each and every one of us. Every human being, whether we know God or not, whether we worship God or not, whether we follow God or not, are created in His image. Which means there are certain attributes of God that are wired into each and every human being. And there's some common ground that we have with those that we would call unchurched or lost. Which is really horrific descriptors, um, if you think about you know, humanity and what God intends for us. But those that are not yet believers and those that are believers have some very common ground. We care about the greater good. And we can do incredibly good things, right? We run into this in the community. The community doesn't need the church to feed the poor because they will feed the poor. You know, they don't need us to rescue those that are caught in sex trafficking because this is a greater value. People do this without the church. 
But there's a problem is that those efforts only go so far and the church has forgotten the power of its message, the depths of it in our lives, and the true power that it can bring to every area of injustice that we cry out for correction in. And today I want to take you back to that and help you see that that quote was spoken because of a very profound need for the message and actions to come together. See, earlier in the church's history, we would talk a lot about the gospel and do absolutely nothing to relieve pain. And now in this culture, we find ourselves on the other end of the spectrum doing all of the good things, but never opening our mouths about true hope and why we do what we do. See, God desires for both of those two things to come together. And when they do, incredible power happens in your life and in the world around us. We see this back in Isaiah, even in biblical times. You know, through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, he starts off and says this, Is not this the fast that I choose? Now, when we talk about fast here, the idea is... Um, deep spiritual devotion, right? If we would say that, you know, I read my Bible, you know, and that's an act of devotion to God, I pray, that's an act of devotion. Somebody that denies themselves for food and spends that time that we spend eating, crying out to God, seeking God, that's deep devotion, right? God's saying, hey, the devotion that I choose, the spirituality, the faith that I choose is to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And so he's looking out and he's saying, listen, the things that I'm caring about when it comes to our devotion to God is to set every person free from wickedness and every vice that binds them to iniquity and pain and suffering. So there's this spiritual implication, this message that God wants to set people free from wickedness. He wants them to be internally and personally free from the grips of selfishness and rebellion against God. This is his, his desire. And then he talks about that this person that, is found, that finds this freedom, this desire, will then express that. He goes on in verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh or to withdraw yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? God is saying, listen, a person that understands the hope of the message of God, which I want all people to understand this hope, this internal freedom, is supposed to express itself in alleviating physical injustice. And those that are alleviating physical injustice have to embrace this message and proclaim this message that is motivating them to do and be and act and to become the way that God has wired us to become. See, Jesus came with a powerful message and, and a heart full of compassion. You see Jesus meeting needs and he says, you think that's powerful? Let me tell you, it's one thing to heal a sick person, but doesn't it take more power to forgive sins? Doesn't he say that, that there are parallels between physical injustice that can drive us into a deeper spiritual message? And I want you to experience freedom all the way across the board. We have to internalize this. 
This is what God desires for us. The deeper we wade into the gospel that is bigger than our morality in church that is bigger than our attendance, the more that we weigh into this daily devotion of understanding the truth of being set free in Christ to know God, to love God, to worship God, to enjoy his presence, to know what that feels like on an individual, personal, daily presence And the more that we remind ourselves of that in here and equip ourselves of that in here, the more effectual we will be in setting people free in true freedom in our neighborhoods and communities. So today I want to talk to you about what happens when we do not serve in Jesus' name. What happens if we just leave this message off? And we just do good deeds incognito, spiritually speaking. Well, the first thing is, is when we leave out Jesus' name, we ignore the underlying cause of pain and suffering. Have you ever sat across from an individual that has been gripped by hate? That is experienced it their entire life. They have been emotionally, physically abused in their life. Have you ever sat across the table and listened to their story? It's one thing to rescue somebody out of that environment. And that ought to be the thing that grips your heart. But there is a healing process once you're removed out of that environment. There is a whole set of of processes and trains of thought that have to be healed. And without speaking that message into that, we ignore the true power of what this person could sense in freedom. Because see, for those that have been abused, they think that they asked for it in some way, shape, or form. There's a culture of shame and guilt that wires our our existence in culture. And they always wrestle with, if I'd done this differently, I hadn't done that differently, if I'd thought differently, if I was wiser, if I was smarter, if I was prettier, if I was smarter, if I wasn't this and I was that, then somehow I wouldn't be the victim. And they internalize the shame and the power of the person that has perpetrated the heinous crime against them. But see, the gospel comes in there and, he, and Jesus says that you are worthy of my love. You are worthy of peace. You are worthy of dignity. And no matter where you are or what's been done to you, you can be free from guilt and shame. And see, that same message can go to the person that is perpetrated and says, you were not created for this. You were created for greater things. You have rebelled. You have sinned. You have have acted selfishly in the most horrific ways possible. And you too can be free. The gospel sets both free. Because see, if the gospel doesn't set both free, then there's absolutely no hope or end to oppression. God's message goes to heal those that have been afflicted and heals those that have been afflicted, ending the cycle of pain. 
And when we don't speak this message and we don't wade into the complexities of it and we don't wade through the brokenness and we're not in it for the long haul, the way Jesus is in it in our lives and the lives of others for long haul, when we don't live and breathe and, and, and dwell in this message daily, then we are left with the underlying cause of pain and suffering, which is our rebellion and selfishness. There is no hope. We leave the victim to grieve and we leave the perpetrator to continue to do what they do. We have to speak the message of hope. It's more than providing safe places. It's more than meeting physical needs. We see this Again, remember verse 6, is it not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to cast them off, to take everything that's binding up every person in sin and darkness, and to loose them from all wickedness, whether it's racism, whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's verbal abuse, whatever it is, God wants to loose victim and perpetrator from those things. To undo the straps of the yoke, To take you away from the constant toil of carrying that crap around in your life. To let the oppressed go free. Free. No physical or emotional baggage. And to break every yoke that would come on the backside of it. This is the power of the message of Jesus. It's redemption. It's buying you out of brokenness. It's buying us out of pain and suffering and offering us hope and life based on him renewing and restoring us. The second thing that happens when we leave out Jesus' name is that we portray ourselves as a savior. Simply put, we come in there, we do the good deed, You know, and we say, yeah, we go to church, but ultimately it's still about our own glory. See, we overlook, you know, the fact that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing and we tell people why. We we point back to where we've received. But see, without the message of Jesus, then we just come in there and we're, we're here to fix your problems. We can't. Listen, in the last... 10 to 15 years, we have seen a rise in awareness of all kinds of injustice. And it seems in 10 to 15 years, we really haven't made much progress other than division and more hate and harder battle lines. Our solutions without the gospel don't run deep enough. They don't start at the right place and they don't end at the right place. It's void of love and value for every human being. I mean, we know that we have to start off with realizing that what happens to our black brothers and sisters in Christ actually happens to the white community. And if there's actually going to be any real healing in racism, all races have to participate together to bring healing. And if we exclude one voice over another voice, then we get conflict and it's good to understand the conflict, but somehow we got to move beyond pain into love and genuine repentance. 
Otherwise, we're left with the common thread, the ultimate conclusion of all of our failed attempts up to this point, which is it sucks to be you. Or you should be ashamed to be you. Why in the world would we expect any culture of shame and guilt to bring about healing? And I'm not saying that there are not real, serious needs within our world, because there are. But what I'm saying is, is that we're not even talking about the right solutions. Because it's become politically incorrect within the body of Christ to talk about Jesus and his redemption. We've wussed out. And we've wussed out because maybe we don't really understand the depths of what God has given us. And that there comes down to leadership. We, I, have wussed out. Because it's painful to wait into the brokenness of humanity. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. But if you're willing to do that labor, God begins to show you the path of hope. You begin to understand that this is exactly what Jesus did and how he felt when he entered humanity 2,000 years ago. Fellowship of his sufferings to know the power of his resurrection, Paul said. We want the power of the resurrection, but we don't want this fellowship of the sufferings. They're not mutually exclusive. See, the gospel is simply this. Humanity cannot save themselves. We all crave a greater good because it reflects the goodness and perfection and beauty of God. And the Bible tells us that there was a time where man was able to interact with God with no sin, shame, or guilt in between them. There was no need to fear, to run, to hide. There was no sense of guilt. They were able to love each other perfectly because we weren't using one another to build up one another's identities. Because we were secure. And God says, rest in that, enjoy that for all eternity. This is what I have for you. And you mean, he's like, we kind of want to try it our way. We have this version of right and wrong that we think would be pretty cool, God. Let us, let us do this, God. And we begin to create systems. We rebel. We put ourselves in the seat of being our own saviors. And we've brought nothing but pain upon the world ever since. And God, instead of responding in anger at rebellious children, he comes down and he insists in his knowledge of good and evil, his system of justice and hope. And he enters in humanity and personifies that and shows us not just what it means to know God, to look God in the eye, you realize that God still wants us to draw near to him, but he shows us what it's like for us to live in a relationship with God. In one fell swoop, he shows us both examples. And he offers us this relationship, this renewal, this change of heart, if you will, from our rebellion and selfishness by simply asking for it in faith, saying, God, I am hopelessly broken. 
I need you to save me. Not so I can save the world, but so I can tell other people that you want to save them too. We see this in Matthew chapter 11. You see, John had devoted his life to telling people about this incredible guy that was going to come, God in the flesh. He was going to preach this message. God was going to enter in humanity and show us the love of God, and then he was going to tell us how to live right with God, and he was actually going to empower us to do that. He started speaking the prophecies of Isaiah. He says, listen, he's coming. And then Jesus comes, and John finds out that his life didn't quite turn out the way he wanted to, and doubt comes in and saying, God, I've done all of this stuff. John was wrestling with, man, the effectiveness of my work, God. I, I feel like I've been trying to tell people that you save them, and I think John had a little bit of an identity crisis. It's like, I failed. And Jesus is like, you're not the Savior. And he quickly reminded John, in the midst of his doubt, who the Savior was. He says, tell John this. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus takes them back to the very message. God came to alleviate physical suffering, shows us that that is a picture of spiritual suffering, alleviates that with his death on the cross. He says, remind John that I'm the Savior. And then remind John that there are some people that are going to internalize it and some people that are not. Some of them that are believers that should internalize it won't. They'll be offended. And others that are outside of a relationship with God will be offended by it and they won't come to it either. But don't let that skew the passion of what God is doing and bringing hope. Don't let go of your message, John. Don't forget who the Savior is. Next thing that happens is that we risk living a life inconsistent with our cause. Listen, without the gospel, without us realizing that we're supposed to, you know, coming in here in Jesus' name, I want you to know the beauty of, it, of following Jesus. And people are going to look at you and say, well, what does that look like? And that's a really good question. And see, I think this is the fear that we have in sharing the gospel. I don't think it's a fear of persecution. I think we're afraid that it doesn't actually work because we're struggling with it in our own life. See, somewhere along the line, we've been, it's been implied or we've been sold this bill of goods that the gospel equals perfection. The gospel equals pursuit. You're one broken person finding renewal in the God who is perfect. Not that you are perfect. And so when you begin to realize that and then you begin to talk with people, you're not telling them how to fix their life. You're helping them understand what it means to know, love, and follow Jesus. You're, you're spending a lot of time talking about Jesus. Not about going to church, not about not smoking, not drinking, whatever your list of sins are. You're talking to him what it means to know, love, and follow Jesus and the hope and the joy and the peace that he brings in your life and how he satisfies you that somehow makes you want to turn to him as opposed to every other vice that you could turn to in life. But we like to give the picture of what it looks like and say, just do these things and don't do these things. And we know that deep down inside, there's no joy in that. 
Zilch. And so what do we do? We live inconsistent lives. We come, we serve, we invite people to church, but on the inside, we're broken, riddled with guilt and shame. And we wonder why the message doesn't have any power. Because there's nothing powerful about that. What's powerful is saying, I come to Jesus with my brokenness. He understands and he heals. And by the way, I want you to know that God wants to do that here with you. I'm I'm here doing acts of, of good things, bringing renewal physically to the world or to your life because I believe this is ultimately the message of what God wants to do in the human heart. And I'm not there, but I know that God is working in me, making me more like him each and every day. And I want you to know the beauty of what it means to know that God has created you the same way he's created me, to know him, to enjoy him, to be close to him. Do you know that there are people in our city that don't come to church because their interaction with Christians has not convinced them that God even thinks about them in their brokenness? There are faces and names in our lives, in Andrew and I's lives, of people that have interacted with Christians and have not understood that basic truth that God thinks about them. There are people that have interacted with Christians and have felt judged and don't come to church. This is why inviting people to church doesn't work anymore, by the way. That have interacted with believers in judgmentalism and moralism and have missed the point of redemption and renewal in Jesus because we don't understand what it means to be in Jesus' name. They, they don't come to church because they felt so ostracized that God wouldn't positively think about them in any way. That God wouldn't desire to redeem them in their brokenness. Isn't that the very truth of the gospel? Isn't that the very motivation for Jesus leaving eternity, enter into suffering to take on the, the, the brutal beating of the cross? I mean, isn't that foundational to who he is? Yes, in case you were wondering. Yes. You cannot separate God's desire to redeem from God's presence in humanity. We live a life inconsistent. We can do good, but on the inside there is no good. It's whitewashed. It's broken. It's religious, but it's not redemptive. We see this in Matthew chapter 25, why this is so serious for us to understand our own message and to communicate in Jesus' name. Because see, the context here of what I'm about to share with you is judgment. God's going to get to the end and he's going to separate people, those that are believers and those that are not. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in Matthew chapter 25, and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him he will gather all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will look to those on the right, and he says, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. So I've been preparing this eternal kingdom called heaven for you. I want you to come in and enter. And then he's going to tell you how I know that you're part of this kingdom. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus is saying, you did a bunch of good things. My message of the kingdom fueled the actions of your life. the, The redemptive renewal work of God in your life drove you into the deepest, darkest, most marginalized people on the planet and you served me. And then the righteous, those that are considered Christ followers, those that have been covered by God's character, will answer him and saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? They're not even getting the beauty of what they've done. When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He looked out in the crowd. There are people here that have experienced redemption through physical acts and heard redemption through your mouths and it has changed them. And as you have done this to the smallest, most insignificant, not even written about in anybody's spiritual journal, that's what the least of these means, not that people are less than us. There's another problem in the church colonialism. I'm going to come in there and fix all the problems in the ghettos. No, you're not. We are the problem. As much as the problems exist in the ghetto. We are the culture. We're not separated from the culture. There's not a person that doesn't need to be redeemed. We all need to be redeemed. And when we wrestle with that message, lives are elevated. We don't see people as least. We just look and say, man, the simplest, smallest, most random, unnoticeable act of compassion in Jesus' name was just like you were serving me. What is he saying? The people next to you bear my image as much as you do. If you serve another human being, you're serving me. This is the gospel. That God wants to renew what is broken inside of us that God has placed in each and every person when they were born. If we continue to serve without Jesus' name, we also abandon people to be victimized by spiritual deception, abuse, and suffering. If we're going to advocate for healing, spiritual suffering has to be on the list. See, we have far too long made God a destination, a place, and not a person. It's called religion. You do the right things, you go to heaven when you die. That's our message. Even if that right thing is place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven when you die. And our reward somehow becomes the mansion on a hill. We've written hymns about it, and we cherish it, and we love it. But when you read John chapter 14, God's like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It is a mighty mansion for all people to dwell. And the greatest gift is that you get to be in my presence. Those of you that have enjoyed my presence here, just wait. It's coming without barrier or hindrance. I am your reward in heaven. And we create this whole twisted and warped theology that somehow we have 
upper classified neighborhoods in eternity, and then we have other neighborhoods, and it looks just like the crap we've created here. That's not good news. And I know my tone is harsh and it's strong, but we have to fight for clarity in what this is really about. And we have to realize that there are people that are alive today that are suffering from spiritual abuse. They've been lied to. They've been sold a false gospel, whether it's prosperity gospel or one of guilt and shame. It's abuse. It's destructive. And it perpetuates injustice, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. We have to see the message being about redemption and that what God is redeeming us from is really a steaming pile of crap, as the Bible just calls it. Whether it's self-righteousness, all self-efforts to save yourself, no matter what your view is, no matter what your path to heaven is, to God is, it's all self-righteousness, it's all self-effort, and it will lead to your destruction. And we don't like saying that and to continue to make eternity a destination and not about a person, we erase that there are actual consequences for injustice. Listen, if God doesn't have a problem with victimization and people inflicting great pain on other people and God doesn't stand up for that, then why in the world would we follow him? There's no sense of justice. There are consequences for sin and rebellion and shame and they're real and they're horrific and they're painful. And to be clear, yes, I am a firm believer that there is a hell that is a literal physical place and that some of humanity will find themselves there for all eternity and that is not God's desire. We see this in Matthew chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. You missed the message. You missed the implications in your life. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And, th- and then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked and sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer saying, truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. What is God saying? You miss the message of redemption. You miss redemption. Is this God's desire to send people to hell? No, God's desire is to redeem. Every breath of his life is to redeem. Every expression of his heart is to redeem. Every act of kindness, compassion, and pursuit of you is to redeem. God is literally jumping in front of us every day of our life trying to redeem. And every day of our lives, we resist and we push back and we could care less. 
This is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's rejecting the offer of God's drawing you near. This is what's unforgivable. And the question begins, why in the world would there even be a path of redemption in a humanity that continually rebels against him? But this is the hope of the gospel. That the life and existence that we create does not have to have the final word over our lives or anybody else's. When we leave out Jesus' name, we cheapen the cross and all that Jesus sacrificed to give us. Remember that verse and. I think it's Matthew chapter 10 talks about giving a cold cup of water in the name as a disciple, you know, in Jesus' name. And we like the cold cup of water part, but it's the Jesus' name part we don't like to talk about much. And when we leave out Jesus' name, we're basically saying, here's a cold cup of water, and we do these acts of kindness and we say, Jesus loves you. And that's true. But it's horrifically incomplete. Think about it. You go and you do an act of kindness. You feed a homeless person. ask you, why are you doing this? You say, because Jesus loves you. What you're telling them is that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus was spit upon, had the beard plucked from his face, was beaten in the head with rods. He was taken and flogged within an inch of his life, having the flesh ripped off of his back with the Roman cat and nine tails, stripped naked, hung on the cross to suffocate to death for six hours. And Jesus did that so you could have a cold cup of water. No. God loves you and wants you to know his love and he wants you to enjoy him. Know what it means to know love and follow him. Jesus is inviting you to know spiritual redemption and I'm showing you this physical act so I can tell you about the change God wants to make in your heart. I'm giving you this cold cup of water because I believe that your physical, emotional, and spiritual life is worthy of redeeming. Say that. Why? Because God loves you. So much so that he died on the cross when you wanted nothing to do with him. Invites you to sit at his table when you were an enemy. God wants to forgive and restore so that you can forgive and restore. This is the message. I'm showing this physical act of redemption because God wants to renew you physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's why we're going to pull weeds in a garden. This is why we throw parties with the community. We do crazy stuff in this church. I mean, we find ourselves in weird places, don't we? The strangest one in most recent history we're at the Memorial Day barbecue, sporting our 5280 t-shirts. They have a beer garden there, and they're asking us to card people as they're coming in. That's strange. Why? 
because we believe people are redeemable. The cross demands it. And so I'd bottom line it like this. Here's why Jesus' name has to be on the table, because the gospel brings something to the world that is greater than justice. The message of Jesus fills the world with radical selflessness to bring healing and redemption to all humanity. This is what the gospel is supposed to bring. It's supposed to make you a person of radical selflessness, to live the way Jesus lived, to love the way Jesus loved, to serve the way Jesus served. As the Father has sent Jesus, so he has sent us. Jesus came to find and restore those that were being ripped apart by sin and selfishness. God came eating and drinking a friend of tax collectors and sinners that he might ransom many. He came to serve and not be served so that he might ransom many. We come in with this renewing message of Jesus that we have immersed ourselves in so that we can offer that through our words and our deeds just the way Jesus did. And when we do that, we bring a message to the culture that is greater than anything they've heard. It's about renewal. And to experience renewal on an ongoing basis, we need repentance. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Is this not the devotion that I choose? Isn't this what I desire? To loose the bonds of wickedness, this message that would set you free from sin, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to set you free spiritually, so that... You can share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your home and you'll be able to see the naked and clothe them and not hide yourself from, their own, from your own a family that has needs that you would give sacrificially in response to this message so that people would know it. And he says, then my favor will shine on you. This is what happens when we internalize this message and we share it through our words and actions. Then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun and your wounds will be quickly healed. Your personal wounds will be healed when you you engage in the message and share the message. It doesn't say get perf- perfect first. It says offer the one that you're pursuing. Then you will find personal healing. And I will always be with you to save you. And my presence will protect you on every side. So when you're afraid and you think that you're not going to have enough to get there, God's going to be there. And when you pray, I will answer you. Finally, my prayers will start to connect with God. And I will start to connect with God. And I realize I'm not lobbing them up to heaven. But I'm sitting there talking across the, the end table or the couch or the bed on my knees with my Savior on his knees listening to me. And when I pray, I will answer you. And when you call to me, I will respond. And if you put an end to oppression, to every gesture of contempt, and to every evil word, if you will give food to the hungry and satisfy those who are in need, then the darkness around you will turn to the brightest of noon. Do you see that? When you engage in the light, light comes into your world and their world. And he says, this is what you'll be known for as a people. And I will always guide you and satisfy you with good things. And I will keep you strong and well. And you will be like a garden that has plenty of water, like a spring of water that never goes dry. And your people 
will rebuild what has long been in ruins, building again on the old foundations. And you will be known as the people who have rebuilt the walls, created a safe place for people to know and dwell with God, who restored the ruined houses. See, the message of Jesus fills the world with radical selflessness to bring healing and redemption to all humanity. All humanity. The question is, will we wade into our own need for redemption and be willing to share that with another human being? How will you restore hope? Better yet, who will you restore hope with?